Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I am Dave Hellman, and we're going to put a little bit of a pause on the news and notes of the week for, for at least an episode. We'll have a full week six preview for you on Friday, October 13th. But this feels like a special circumstance, a good place to stop down and talk about the NFL trade deadline. If you're unfamiliar, it's coming up on October 31st. I can hear you saying, Dave, that's still almost three weeks away. That's an eternity from now. This felt like the right time to get out in front of it, though. If you remember back to last year, mid-October is around the time that this stuff starts happening. We've already seen four trades in the month of October already. We can get to those in a little bit. Even thinking back to last year, the blockbuster Carolina trading Christian McCaffrey to San Francisco happened around October 20th. So coming up here in a week, that's when the madness starts. And I think it, it builds as we get toward, toward the trade deadline on Halloween this year. So we're going to take a minute, assess the situation, assess who might be buying, who might be selling, who might be moving. And I'm going to get some help on it. Brought in friend of the show, Fox Sports' own Carmen Vitale, who's here with me in the studio today. Carm, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. This, Super excited. This just felt like something where I needed help. There's there's so much going on and will be going on because we, we did the math on this. Do you realize, dating back over the last five years, in the month leading up to the trade deadline, the NFL has been averaging 15 trades per year. So like, I think there used to be a stigma of NFL teams not wanting to do trades. That's not the case anymore. No, it feels like they're averaging 15 trades a month or, in, or 15 trades at the trade deadline. Uh, if last year was any indication, I mean, I remember my head spinning at the trade deadline uh, last year because I think what TJ Hawkinson was moved that day. Uh, and that was also the, the twofer with the Chicago Bears where they traded away Roquan Smith, but then got Chase Claypool. So they were buyers and sellers and no one expected them, I don't think, to do anything at the trade deadline. Which, you know, it's a fun day. Chase Claypool already out of Chicago. Yeah. Chicago sends a second round pick. He is now a Miami Dolphin. That was one of the first dominoes that fell mm -hmm. in the month of October. He's with Miami now, but you're right. 21 trades leading up to the deadline last year. You mentioned Chubb and Hawkinson. Calvin Ridley was another one. Remember, oh, yeah. he, he was yeah. suspended, suspended last year. but was still on the move. Now and that was one of the best things the Jags could have done. He's wide receiver one in Jacksonville. Absolutely. So that's why I want to do this. I want to yeah. get out in front of it. I'm not saying anything's going to happen today no. or tomorrow, but start. I mean, it's already started a little bit. So we mentioned Chase Claypool going to Miami. JC Jackson got traded back to New England from the Chargers. Mm -hmm. That acquisition not really working out in LA. Randy Gregory, the longtime cowboy who signed in Denver, is now going to bolster San Francisco's pass Which rush. Seems extraordinarily unfair. Yeah, as I mean, <laughs> it, as if they needed him. As if as Nick a, Bosa, yeah. as if that Javon Hargrave wasn't enough. Yeah. Needed somebody else. Good and Lord. then this week, uh, Los Angeles Rams receiver Van Jefferson gets yeah. traded to Atlanta. So there's already been four. But if I'm doing basic math correctly, we could see as many as 10 or 11 more trades before the deadline. Now, hopefully the fact that we're doing this doesn't mean it's going to be an extraordinarily slow month in the NFL. <laughs> I, I'm guessing we've got a few more tricks up our sleeve before we get to Halloween. I think so, too. I agree. So what I want to do first, we're going to assess the landscape. You know, we've played five games there's a handful of teams that you can already kind of see the writing on the wall. There's some more that are 
Maybe they're another loss or two away from being in this conversation. And then there are already some storylines about teams that are in contention that could maybe maybe use some help. So I want to start this off. Mm-hmm. Let's go through the sellers first. Okay. Let's go through the teams that, that we can maybe identify as maybe it's not in the cards <laughs> for you this year. And I'm sorry that we're saying that before week six even kicks off, but it is what it is. So looking at the teams that we can already guess this about, I don't think there's a better place to start than the Denver Broncos. The worst coaching job in the NFL. You had to bring that up, huh? I had to. You don't deserve to live that down when you say something like that. And then, you know, you're still in the same mess. The Broncos are one and four. To your point, they lose to the New York Jets last week who employ the guy that they ran out of town. Yeah, the guy they ran out of town. Who got the game ball that day. He did. The Broncos defensive DVOA is the worst. It's the worst in the entire NFL, which that isn't, that's not the bad part. I mean, it's bad, (laughs) but what's worse than that is that the gap between Denver at 32 and Chicago at 31 is roughly the same as the gap between Chicago and the 20th best defense. Yeah. Yeah. Like Denver's not just the worst. They are substantially substantially the worst and like pacing to be historically bad. If that wasn't bad enough, they've got the Thursday night game against Kansas city on Thursday night. They haven't won at Arrowhead stadium in eight years. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, Sean Payton is the new guy there. I'm going to step out on a limb and say, Sean Payton isn't going to get fired after one year. So keep in mind, there's a whole host of players in Denver that Sean Payton did not acquire. Right. Who, if he can get something for them, Maybe he will. I think that's why you want to look at Denver. We'll we'll get into some of the names, but I think it's it's worth going over the wide receivers in Denver. Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. There's offensive linemen. They already traded Randy Gregory. We'll we'll get to that. I do I want to throw this out there. The one guy that I the one guy that I can't see them trading is Patrick Sertan. I mean, that's a foundational player, which is a testament to who Pat Sertan is because you don't usually base an entire defense around a corner. But I think that he is a guy that you drafted. You need to hold on to him and you want him to be that homegrown story in Denver, but it's a premium position. He looks like he has the potential to be a multi-year all pro. Yeah. He's still young. I just what don't, coach isn't going to want that guy to play for him. I don't see the, I don't see the point. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll get in more. We'll get into the actual players in a little more detail later on in the show. The next team I want to talk about the Minnesota Vikings, a team that you know, well, I do. you are our NFC North writer. I so I mean, take, take me through the situation here. I'm not, I'm not crazy for thinking. I know they won the division last year, but the Minnesota Vikings have to be a team that should at least be thinking about selling at the trade deadline. The Minnesota Vikings are atoning for outperforming their talent level last year when they went 13 and four with a roster that maybe wasn't as well equipped to do that. So now you're sitting at one and four in this season. All of your games have been one score games, but now instead of going 11 and zero in those games, you are now one and three or yes, no one and four, one and four, one and four, because yeah, even their win came as a one score game. Uh, they've pitched this situation this year, GM Kwesi Adolfo Mensa as a competitive rebuild. And they have been competitive to their credit, to their credit. They've been competitive, 
But he acknowledged what was so interesting was that when Kwesi said this, he said, I know that this isn't how most teams do it. I know most teams just kind of tear everything down and start over from scratch. We're not going to do that because we believe that we can do both at once. We can, we can have our cake and eat it too. And we are finding out that the Minnesota Vikings cannot have their cake and eat it too when it comes to trying to turn over a roster, rebuild a roster while remaining actually competitive. Part of me thinks, hey, this is one of the weaker divisions in the in, in the NFL. The Lions obviously look like the team to beat, but we've seen Green Bay have their struggles. Obviously, Chicago's got a lot going on. Maybe you could convince me that the that the Vikings could turn things around. After all, we did see the Lions do this at the midpoint of last season and really go on a tear. But then you add Justin Jefferson going on injured reserve. That was my next point. To the mix. Right. Like whatever feel good sentiment you could come up with takes a pretty big hit when the best wide receiver in football goes out for a month. Justin Jefferson has over a quarter of the target share from this offense through the first five games. That is an enormous piece of your offense that is now no longer on the field. An offense that hasn't really struggled outside of the turnovers. They've been productive. Kirk Cousins has been productive, but it's only because he's throwing up these opportunity balls, which is something that head coach Kevin O'Connell is so insistent on. And what Kirk had to take a little bit of time to get used to was throwing the ball up there and just letting Justin Jefferson make a play. To have that relationship with any other receiver is going to take time. And their other, their second leading receiver is Jordan Addison, who is a rookie. And he hasn't been with Kirk Cousins that long. So now you feel like, how are you going to be competitive down the stretch when Justin Jefferson is out for a minimum of four games? He went on IR on Thursday or Wednesday. I I get my days confused, man. It it happens when you get to this time of year. I know. Um, They put him on IR and he's out at least four games. How are you going to stay competitive when Kirk doesn't have that relationship with anybody else on this offense right now? Yeah. And Jordan Addison's off to a really nice start, but I mean, he, he did, you know, he's, he tied his career high for catches against Kansas city with six and a touchdown, but like he hasn't been a volume guy to this point. They do have TJ Hawkinson who ironically they acquired acquired at the trade deadline deadline last year. I just, we've seen the writing on the wall. And I mean, you've already seen the Vikings doing some of this. I mean, so many guys that defined an era of Vikings football are already gone, whether it's Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook leaves this year, Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks are gone. Kirk Cousins is in the last year of a deal. We will get to Daniil Hunter later. That's a name to know. This there, there's a whole host of players that defined like a decade of Vikings football that are either gone or trending toward being gone. So I just wouldn't be surprised if the Vikings call it what it is in a couple of weeks and say, hey, if we can get something for somebody. Maybe switch up their kind of (laughs) their strategy at this point, which was, again, maybe take the competitiveness out of the rebuild and just call it what it is to your point of a rebuild. It's hard for me to think that, you know, this has been their year, like three year plan. So it's hard for me to think that they're going to switch gears midway through the season and all of a sudden kind of tear this thing down. But I don't necessarily know that then that's the right call. I think maybe tearing it down might be. I don't know. It's interesting because the Vikings are never bad. Like I'm looking at their year over year right now. Like Vikings fans would beg to differ. Okay. I mean, I know, (laughs) look, I know this is a tortured team and a tortured fan base, but like the Vikings at the very worst, they're usually mediocre. Like the last time they won fewer than seven games was a decade ago. Yeah. 
So I get it. I get that it's hard to sort of wave the white flag. And I don't know that you would necessarily have to do that. Like, I assume Justin Jefferson will be back. At, he's not going to be out for the rest of the year. It's a hamstring, and, so you never know. Well, for the record, and let's just, spoiler alert, I don't think they would ever consider trading Justin Jefferson. No, so, no, we're not going to talk about Justin Jefferson being traded. So maybe we're it's not, not a complete to. waving of the white flag, but I just, I think you can get a jump start on next year and wherever you want to yeah, take it from here. Exactly. We'll get into more of, of who the Vikings might trade later. The next team I want to talk about as far as sellers go, the Arizona Cardinals. Maybe this is tough to hear because the Cardinals have been feisty. They haven't been an easy out for anybody that they've played this season, which is round of applause to the Cardinals because people were joking about openly tanking when the season started. Right. That hasn't been the case, but this is still a team in transition. Kyler Murray isn't playing yet. He's getting closer to that, but I still don't know when that's going to happen. They're, and is he even like once Kyler Murray comes back, is that the fix? Are they going to all of a sudden be competitive? Not, because I would assume Kyler Murray came back. But, I mean, they're already competitive. So I guess I would say yes, but there's a difference between feisty and competing to win the division, which by the way, you share with the best team in football that has already beaten you once and already has a four game head start. And also Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, yeah. That's so that's why I think we can say good on you Cardinals. You're definitely better than anybody wanted to give you credit for. But again, this isn't a team that should have aspirations for the playoffs this year. Right. And whatever you can do, they've already done they've made some serious hay with the trade that they made with Houston in the offseason, grabbing Houston's capital yes. for in the Will Anderson trade. So, they're already in a great spot, but whether it's and I'll say it again, we'll get into the players later, but whether it's a Buda Baker or a Hollywood Brown mm -hmm. off to a really nice start, the wide receiver that they got in a trade from from Baltimore. If you can find something for one of those guys, it only gives you a better chance to get started quickly next year. Something to consider the New York giants. And I feel mean saying this because it's a tough reality for a team that made the playoffs last year and was supposed to take the next step. Right. But that's how bleak things look for the Giants right now. One and four with the Bills on deck. Yeah. They share a division with Philly, who's unbeaten, and make all the jokes you want about the Cowboys getting blown out by San Francisco. Dallas already beat them by 40. So that's how far away you look from the top of your division. You're playing the Bills. The offensive line is still a mess. I was going to say... But Four out of the five offensive linemen are on the injury report and you're going against that defensive front within Buffalo. Seems I, bad. It's, it's a correlated situation with you. When you have four out of five of your offensive linemen hurt, you're getting Daniel Jones killed. Daniel Jones is hurt. So then the offense isn't firing, isn't doing well. So it's the, it's a transitive property of bad. So the offensive lines is hurt. Daniel Jones is getting hurt. That means the, the offense isn't working and there isn't really an end in sight for that right now. I'll go as far as to say, I'll believe this when I see it. I think the giants are a very proud franchise. The Mara family, yeah. it speaks for itself. They're a cornerstone franchise. It would be, it would be surprising to me to see them do anything super drastic but again, if this continues and I mean, let's even let's look a little bit further into the future. Who do the Giants have after Buffalo? Good question. Bills, Commanders, Jets, Raiders, Cowboys. 
sure, not everything on the schedule looks like a loss, but I just think you're going to be well behind the pace by the time you get to the trade deadline in two or three games, especially when you share a division with Philly. If there's anything you can do to gain capital. They do have, they have a decent amount of cap space too coming into next season. They have $43 million, 13th most in the league. So you have the opportunity to add to that and really be able to turn a lot over this season, this off season. So do you think that they are regretting the fact that they could have more cap space if they hadn't signed Daniel Jones? Or do you think they're saying we've got enough cap space that we can put Daniel Jones in a much better situation by the spring. I think that coupled with if they end up being sellers at the deadline, you can get more and then you don't feel as bad and you don't feel that hit of Daniel Jones, $40 million as much. If you end up kind of parting with some pieces that were maybe a little bit more expensive, stuff like that. We'll get into those guys later on. One last team I want to touch on as a seller and we'll end with them because in a weird way, they actually might be a buyer which is strange for the last winless team in Mm. the NFL. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. the Carolina Panthers. I think this is weird because the reports right now indicate that the, they've been out for a couple of weeks at this point, that the Panthers would love to add a number one wide receiver. They traded away DJ Moore in the the big trade with Chicago that landed them the number one pick. And lo and behold, they don't they have need. anybody for Bryce Young to throw the ball to. They need a number one wide receiver. The ghost of Adam Thielen is doing an admirable job, but it's Trying, just not yeah. enough. So it's interesting to think. He's a complimentary guy. He And he legitimately is playing well. If that sounded glib, I'm sorry. But it's just not enough. And you, A, you need to give Bryce Young a chance. B, you need to evaluate him throwing to guys who can actually get open, which just hasn't been the case through the first five weeks of the season. Yeah. And you don't have a first round pick anymore. You would, you need to be able to gain that capital back somehow. So there's the selling aspect of it, but I think this is a case by case basis of you also need to buy a guy for Bryce Young to develop. And that's why they can be both buyers and sellers. Can they be this year's bears from last season where they they end up taking someone that they feel is going to help their quarterback develop while also selling off some pieces. Is there a player for like, you don't see player for player swaps in the NFL very often. Is that a thing we could see here? Maybe like, like we're going to give you this defensive player. We'll give you Brian Burns. Would, would the Raiders give the Panthers Devonte Adams in exchange for Brian Burns. Could you imagine Brian Burns on the other side of Max Crosby? I can. That it's would be very incredible fun. for the Raiders. Yes, exactly. Ah, uh, ooh, and I mean, we'll get into Devonte. I that doesn't fix my problem of wanting to see Devonte on a playoff competitor. But I, I don't think it fixes his either. No, that's it, his problem too. It, no, exactly. <laughs> and that's no. I mean, I don't know how happy Devonte Adams is going to be going from Vegas to a winless team, but. That is an interesting, that is some he problem is, solving right he there. He is, is the exact type of guy that I would like to see them bring in for Bryce Young because of the fact that he's a big dude. He's got a large catch radius. He can go up and get those 50-50 balls. And that's something that you want out of a young quarterback who maybe isn't putting the ball exactly where he wants to all the time and can kind of make up for some of the young quarterback's mistakes. So I think that the Panthers would be wise to get a guy like Devontae Adams. Now, again, whether or not they can get him, we'll get into it in a little bit, but uh, I like I like that. I hadn't I hadn't considered the player for player swap. Neat, honestly, we haven't seen that in a while. That's why I'm glad to have you in studio because it had not occurred to me until I'm sitting here thinking, well, the Panthers 
have assets that they can get rid of, but they need stuff. Right. They need, they need. weapons and they have a star pass rusher that they haven't managed to pay. They've already turned down trade offers for him. I don't know. Just, I wonder if there's, I'm literally, I'm, I'm, I'm brainstorming right here. I wonder if there are any other receivers or, or offensive weapons that they could get with a Brian Burns. It's something to consider, but I do think it makes the Panthers interesting because I could see them being both buyers and sellers when we get later in the month. All right, let's move on to some of the the pure buyer or potential buyers, I should say, mm-hmm. teams that I think could use a little bit of help. I want to start with the Baltimore Ravens yeah. because everything about this team to me just seems like a group that could use a little, a little bit extra. Like yeah. they're clearly good. I know they just lost the head scratcher to Pittsburgh, but I feel good about the Ravens overall, but could use a little bit more. They did a lot to add to their receiver core over the off season. It hasn't worked out as beautifully as they'd probably prefer. They had seven drops on Sunday. Yeah. A lot of them really nasty work. And then you look at it and say, Odell Beckham's dealt with injuries, which he's, I think we all saw. Yeah. I mean, coming, it, it is what it is. Don't be mean to Odell. He I'm not to LSU. Being mean. I know that he's your LSU guy, but I mean, that's why I don't think I was as, excited when they ended up signing Odell Beckham because I was like, okay, we need to make sure that he can get through the season and he hasn't been able to do that yet. So he's played what? Three games for three them? games. Odell, yeah. Odell and Rashad Bateman both have less than a hundred receiving yards after and five games. That's after five games. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm sure the Ravens probably say, well, what else do you want us to do? We got Odell. We got Rashad sure. Bateman. We got, totally got Nelson Aguilar. Uh-huh. At some point you'd probably prefer one of those guys to step up, but if it hasn't happened in another week or two, I'm not saying you got to go after a star player, but I mean, we just saw Van Jefferson get dealt to Atlanta. I mean, there's all sorts of levels of guys that can help you. Right. I would, if this continues, I would like to maybe see something happen there. Another thing is the Ravens pass rush. They're actually, they're pretty good mm-hmm. in terms of numbers. Yeah. They have 18 sacks on the year. They, they, they've got a good win rate when it comes to, to rushing the passer. But mm-hmm. the interesting thing is nine of their sacks, half of their production is coming from um, safeties, linebackers, right. Kyle Hamilton, a Patrick really, Queen. Really complex and really fun, creative defensive yeah, scheme. And Mike is, McDonald is a right. hell of a defensive coordinator, but I bet he'd be a lot happier with like a true edge guy. Yeah. Like, you don't do that unless you have to. And like, you don't, you don't, bring in nickels and corners and safeties on blitzes unless you have to, because you don't got the guys up front. Yeah. I, I think that would be a lot of fun. I don't know if it would be a blockbuster. They just traded for Roquan Smith a year ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they do that two years in a row, but again, there's levels to this thing. Maybe a mid round pick could get you a veteran pass rusher. We'll get to that in a little bit. I want to mention the Cleveland Browns mainly because they have the defense that can make them a competitor and a contender. We've seen it. The offense is shaky. We know Deshaun Watson's dealing with an injury, but also the offensive line is very troubling. Right tackle Jack Conklin out for the year. Left tackle Jedrick Wills. Not having a wonderful season. So really, I would imagine the Browns have done what they're going to do at running back. 
bringing Kareem Hunt back. Mm -hmm. But if you could beef up the offensive line a little bit, maybe you would feel better about what you're getting out of that offense. Yeah. I mean, everything starts up front, right? I think we're seeing a lot of that this year in particular of how much these offensive lines matter, which I love personally. But I mean, it also makes it. I I am a trench fan. But at the same time, there it's not like a lot of these offensive line trades happen in the middle of a season just because it's hard to bring a guy in in the middle of the season and have him be an impact player at that position. So it's it's you're between a rock and a hard place when you need some offensive line help in the middle of a season. That is really true. I think the Eagles belong on this list every single year as, long, as long as Howie Roseman is doing this. The general manager in Philly, they're worth mentioning. He is always down to do a trade. I know they're five and zero, oh, but that's never stopped him never. from being aggressive. Um, they're also not afraid. I mean, if the trade deadline comes and goes without the Eagles doing something, they're not afraid to sign some guys off the street because Dominic and Sue, Linval Joseph, those guys come to mind. And those guys didn't sign until like mid to end, end of November last year. And it was just because they recognized a need and they're like, Hey, these guys are sitting there waiting, waiting for a shot at a contender. We're a contender. Let's do this thing. There are needs on this team. And I, I know they're five and oh, they're very good, but I think Eagles fans would even say, the secondary is an issue. Yeah. They, if they could get a safety, not alone in that. I, I mean, fair, but <laughs> if, if the Eagles could get themselves a safety, I bet they'd be thrilled about it. Losing Nickelback Avante Maddox early in the year. I, I know they're missing him. I bet they wouldn't be mad about that. And even linebacker, like literally, I think the defensive line is probably fine. Right. Uh, you think? I don't think they need Indomitian <laughs> Sue or Linval no, Joseph this year do. with Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter. But it, um, literally anything in the back seven, I think the Eagles would probably not hesitate to do it if it yeah. came up. So always keep an eye on Howie Roseman. The Buffalo Bills, I think it's a lot of the same, a lot of the same talking points. The Bills have lost Pro Bowl caliber players two weeks yeah. in a row. Tredavious White and Matt Milano both go down. Quan Jones too in, in yeah, London. That's a good point. I just I that oh I was I was so I was very unhappy for the Bills to see that happen because like, you go overseas, you make all of these arrangements, and it's it's a really hectic. I've done the up and back to London. You think you've done the up and back to London? It's not a fun trip, and to lose two of your guys on that trip is just it's it's awful. I do think the Bills at least have in-house candidates to replace Matt Milano. Yeah. Terrell Bernard's had a nice season. Uh, but I do think just the sheer amount of injuries have forced their hand into having to do something. No, for sure. For sure. And that's that's why I have them here. I think if, if you think you've got a chance to go for it and somebody's available, I think it's worth mentioning. The Detroit Lions, mm. I'm starting to sense a theme. Oh, yeah. And that's people <laughs> People are banged up in the secondary. Yeah. The, the Lions have lost Chauncey Gardner-Johnson this year. Emmanuel Mosley's out. Uh, felt Brian, horribly for him. Brian Branch is dealing with things. Yep. Kirby Joseph is dealing with he's, things. He's currently uh, on the injury report. Has I don't, a, not all of these guys are out games. for the season, correct? No. So Brian Branch is still playing. He's just kind of good to come out every, every so often in a game because he gets banged up. Because of how physical he plays, which you love that about him. Kirby Joseph has missed the last couple of games um, it, for the Lions. But CJ Gardner-Johnson, we don't know how long he's going to be out. Still don't know how long he's going to be out. It's, it's an indefinite timetable. Emmanuel Mosley, unfortunately, uh, he got he, it, it was his first game back this last Sunday from an ACL injury. And just a few snaps into the game, he tears his other ACL. So that was 
just a heart-wrenching injury, especially for the guys in that building. I've talked to a lot of the coaches and stuff in that building that were really hopeful for what Emmanuel Mosley could bring to this defense. And we're so excited about him. And he's just apparently a really good dude. And you hate to see that happen to somebody. So uh, they've gotten decimated in the at that back level of the, of the defense. And I think that they absolutely have to do something about it because the de- defensive depth is not there. They have three healthy corners and a undrafted rookie. Last time I checked, you won about six. Yeah, you want you want more than that. I can tell you that much. <laughs> you want more than three. You're using safeties at your nickel position, uh, which is just a way to do it these days. I feel like there's more and more defenses that are putting safeties uh, down in that in that slot kind of corner uh, position. Not quite a corner, obviously. They're safeties, but. Um, I just, I, there's, there's no depth now. And that was somewhere where they were coming into the season. They had addressed the defensive backfield because that's what held them back last year. So they really made sure to pay special attention to that unit in particular. And now you've just, the injuries have just really gotten the better of you. Another thing worth mentioning, what helps a secondary is good pass rush. And they have an alien up front in Aiden Hutchinson. They do. And that, I mean, that's a nice place to be. <laughs> Start. Let's start mounting the campaign for Aiden Hutchinson to be in the DPOY. In the DPOY conversation, the oh. defensive player of the year. Absolutely. But before we do that, what I what I was gonna point out is I mean, you got they got a game and a half out of James Houston. Yeah. Day three draft steal last year. Oh, he came in. You're he, kind he of hoping on. that he is gonna be the the guy that offsets Aiden Hutchinson. If he's getting doubled, then he's gonna win. Right. Doesn't work out when you get hurt. That sucks for Although James will, Houston. But yeah. He he didn't start till James Houston did not start till week 12 of last year. And he finished second on the team in sacks one behind Aiden Hutchinson. I wonder, which is incredible. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson is badass, but I wonder if you try to do something to bolster the rest of that pass rush. So Aiden doesn't have to always, always be the guy. Although he's proved that he can literally do anything and everything. Not worried about him. One handed interception. Not worried about him. Just saying everybody likes a little bit of help. Yeah. Let's round this thing out with a team that you know, well, The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I no way in my wildest dreams that I think we'd be talking about them as a buyer going into the year. I think I was higher on the Bucs than a lot of people. Was that because you know me and I was a lot higher on the Buccaneers? I I mean, look, you know your stuff, but I, all you have to do is look at the Bucs defensive depth chart and be like, oh, these are all the same guys as when they were the best defense in the league and won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Either way, Mostly. even as did you did you expect them to be the best team in the division and looking like a team that might want help at the trade deadline? Be yeah. honest, you did. Yeah. All right. Well, then, what do you think they need then, expert? <laughs> um, I actually the same the same kind of uh, theme that we've got here. I think they could use some secondary help. More than that, though, running back, and I it's one of those chicken or the egg situations. Like, are they not running the ball because it's not in the scheme? Or is it not in the scheme because they don't have the personnel to do it? They have Rashad White, who's my my my, my baby boy, Sun Devil, Arizona State, Arizona State. Shout out ASU. Um, but behind him, they have Keyshawn Vaughn, who has not panned out to be the guy that they hoped. And they have Sean Tucker, who's the rookie. But you're just not getting production out of that phase of the offense. I mean, you have Baker throwing for 35 to 45 times a game at this point, maybe even higher. I think actually last game he threw like 47 times. Um, 
And that's kind of always been the calling card of the Bucks, even dating back to the Arians years. But I don't think that that's been by choice. So I, I would love to see them pick up a running back. I think there might be some running backs available. Um, it's just a matter of assets and what the Bucks can afford to give up. He has he's been averaging more than thirty attempts per game all season long. Not not quite forty seven, but like I see I see your point. Like yeah. I think it, it, you're asking a lot of him, especially they, it seems like they really like play action they do. when the running game hasn't been working. You think if a Leonard Fournette reunion was going to happen, it probably would have happened by <laughs> it now. It would have happened already. Yeah, I agree with that. It would have happened. I'm curious. I love my guy Lenny though. What does a, what does a running back trade look like in this market? We can get into that. That takes us through, I think at least teams to know in terms of looking to get rid of talent, looking to acquire it. And now... With that out of the way, we can get into the really fun stuff and just recklessly speculate about who might be available here in the next couple of weeks. I like that, recklessly speculate. Let's start things off with a situation I did not see coming, which is a potential starting quarterback trade, Carmen. That's unheard of. Which I would have completely shrugged it off. But I actually, I talked to... My buddy, NFL insider Peter Schrager, Love strikes. on this podcast, which you can hear later in the show, he brought up the possibility of Kirk Cousins getting dealt, and he knows and talks to a lot more people than I do. So if he's saying it's at least possible, it's worth the time. Kirk Cousins, starting quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, playing really, really good football through five weeks of the seasons. It's really season. good football. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't right. add one the really? second one, one really. really. He's he's had a lot of turnovers this year. I mean, the Vikings in general have had a lot yes, of turnovers. Yes, but he this year. has he has contributed his fair share of turnovers this year. He's playing good football. He is playing good football. I won't take that away from him at all. He is in the last year of his deal. Yes, they're letting him play it out. We already touched on the Vikings situation. It's not looking great. Right? Can you picture this happen? Like, is this? Is this a real thing that could happen? A starting quarterback being on the move? I I don't know how you do that in the middle of a season. We don't have precedent for that, really. Not in my memory. No. And from both sides of this, listen, who is going to bring in a guy unless you run the exact same offense uh, and expect them to be a difference maker to be fair, everybody, everybody runs some element of the Rams uh, of the Rams. Yeah, I know the, the Shanahan McVay offense there. There's what eight coaches now, I think eight Something or nine like coaches that. that run this, this some variation of that system. But Kirk also has a no trade clause in his contract. So he would have to waive that to be to, for this to go through. And he actually talked on Wednesday and said he was asked directly about if he would ever consider waiving his no trade clause this season. And he goes, you know, I am just very focused on the bears and going one and zero this week and anything else is not worth my time or energy or attention. Wow. Yeah. So he was real firm about that. that that's dad speak. If I've ever heard it mm. of saying, stop it. Um, and I'm gonna, also I'm going to turn this car around. <laughs> don't make me turn this car around. Also, Kevin O'Connell really likes Kirk. And I don't think that they're going to part with him unless they know that they have a shot at someone better that can elevate this franchise a little bit more. Um, I realize though, that Justin Jefferson's injury kind of throws a wrench into all of this because now maybe you are like we talked about earlier, thinking about switching up your strategy a little bit. And, and selling off some assets to get a head start on, on this offseason. But 
the other component to this is the Minnesota Vikings don't have a great option at backup. Nick Mullins went on IR with Justin Jefferson, which was one of the things that I think was a little bit under the radar at this point. They, their, their current number two in the quarterback room is Darren Hall, a rookie. And he's a late round pick at that. Their number three quarterback, Sean Mannion, who is still in the league. I checked. Yeah, I didn't realize that. For um, the, I, good on you, so Sean. Keep making that money. There's not a good option for the Minnesota Vikings at this point under center if Kirk Cousins isn't available. If they trade him away, there's no incentive for them to do that at this point because it would be a total tank job if they were to do it. Can I shamelessly stir the pot? Stir it. Jaron Hall, the fifth round pick out of BYU. Yeah. You know who else was a fifth round pick out of BYU? Oh boy. Here we go. Puka Nakua. I'm just saying, maybe there's something magical. Maybe there. there's something magical that happened at BYU nah. that, uh, and anybody taken in the fifth round out of BYU is automatically better than we all think. I'm being completely shameless. It would be, it would be a level of white flag waving that you rarely see in the NFL to deal your starter away mid season with a completely unproven option or a guy that you're bringing in. Didn't they worked out Colt McCoy this week? They, did they worked not? out Colt McCoy this Which, week. Colt McCoy is a good player. Yes, yes. But to bring him in and just be like, Hey, you're the guy. I know you weren't here all summer or have no familiarity with what we're doing. Right. But here go. Yeah. I, I don't see it. Um, no. And on top of that, how, how many teams even make sense? I know there's been a lot of talk about the jets. A, Zach Wilson actually playing not bad. Not bad. For two weeks in a row. And B, now you get into a conversation about assets. The Jets don't have a second round pick because it's going to go to Green Bay eventually for Aaron Rodgers. It's not a one because he's not going to meet the 65% snap threshold, but they still lose their two. Would they give up a one for a quarterback that they're going to have for 12 games? I don't knowing that Aaron Rodgers no. is ba- is presumably no. coming back. No, I don't buy it at all. I think also there's not only do you have the draft capital invested, you have actual monetary capital invested. I mean, I know Aaron Rodgers took a pay cut, but what he's still thirty seven and a half million dollars out of your pocket to rehab at this point, and they only have what eight point seven million dollars in cap space right now. What can you do with that? Yeah, I don't. The the only way I see this, and I'm I'll steal this from Shrags, is knock on wood because we don't want to see it. We don't want injuries. But if a contender that has a healthy quarterback right now loses him between now and Halloween, then I think this is a different conversation. But right now, I just I don't see. Even, see even in that scenario, though, like you're going to have to give an arm and a leg and your firstborn. If you want Kirk Cousins, because again, if we talked a about it earlier. Team and you we were talked talking about, about earlier, saving your season. We talked about it earlier. Minnesota is competitive right now, though. They're only the games that they've lost have been by one score. So, from a GM, a head coaching perspective, from an organizational perspective, you're you're right there. And if you stop turning the ball over multiple times a game, you're going to continue to get some to bank some more wins. They have some winnable games coming up too. Okay, but I've been waiting for them to stop turning. The 
the ball over same, every week. Same. I keep saying that they're going to stop. Week. I know. I know. I keep saying. Eventually, they have to stop doing it or we should stop saying it. And they haven't. But they have some winnable games coming up in this next month. So right. I think that Minnesota is going to end up turning it around to a place where you are not going to be able to afford to get rid of Kirk Cousins right now. We both agree Kirk Cousins is probably in Minneapolis, at least until the season is over. Let's move it on to running back where there are a lot of interesting names. There's a lot, there's a lot of big ticket names and that's because there are a lot of running backs on one year deals that are on not so good teams. Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry. Yep. Those are the headliners. I, we could talk all day about, about guys that aren't as well known, whether you want to talk about like a Michael Carter in New York or a Rashad Penny in Philly, but for the interests for the interest of this, because these are the type of trades that like make you double, you know, right. take another look at your phone. Like, Whoa, wait, what happened? So these are the three that I think are interesting. It's a similar scenario for all three, just in the sense, all three of them have one year on one their, year left. I know that was, deal. I did not realize that about Derek Henry until we, I started looking at through just this. I kind of assumed like, he was going to play there forever and maybe he still will, but there's only one year left on his deal. And it's kind of insane that the Titans are letting him play out that last year and not trying to sign him to longer term extension. But I think with the market that we're seeing for running backs is that it, that's a testament to the market in that they think that they can get away with not paying him as much because the, the slope of the, the pay scale is going down for the, this position, unfortunately. So let me ask you this. And it's interesting because just last week, Jonathan Taylor finally gets a $42 million deal. Right. So it is possible for a running back to get 13, 14 million a year, but all these guys are averaging between 10 and 12 million a year. Obviously Saquon and Josh Jacobs are on the franchise tag, Derrick Henry in the last year of a multi-year extension. But what is the market for a guy that's played a lot of NFL football that has a lot of miles on the odometer? And maybe you don't, maybe you don't want to pay 30 million or 30 year old Derrick Henry, another contract, but surely somebody with a need for a weapon might be willing to, I don't know, part with a, a third or a fourth round pick for a guy like that. Yeah. I think you saw the Jonathan Taylor deal get done because we all thought that that was, there had been irreparable harm to that situation and that there was no way Jonathan Taylor was going to continue with the Colts. Every, the damage was done. I think the, a lot of the reason that was reconciled was guys checking their egos, but also because Jonathan Taylor realized he wasn't going to get more out of anyone else because that's, again, the market. But these guys, I also look at the type of running back that they are. I feel like teams are inching towards these like, the, 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 the hot new guys are like the positionless players, right? The ones that can factor as a receiver and be a running back. None of those three guys that you mentioned are guys that are especially equipped to run routes. I know that they can catch balls out of the backfield. They're in the flat. You know, they they have some yards after catch ability. Saquon can do Saquon, that. I think Saquon of the three, Saquon yeah. is the one that can. But you look at Derrick Henry, you look at yeah. Josh Jacobs. Henry these are and Jacobs, for sure. These are north-south runners that are pure running backs, which is great. They're excellent at what they do. And Jonathan, and rather Josh Jacobs, has been available to the Raiders for his career, which is so incredibly rare because even Derrick Henry's missed some time. Obviously Saquon has had his share of injury, but for just a, for a guy that can just run and I'm putting up air quotes right now, if you're, if you're listening to this for a guy that can just run, I don't know that teams see the value 
in these guys. And so, yeah, you're going to only have to forfeit maybe a third, fourth round pick for that. And I don't know that teams are going to find that worth it necessarily, especially a team like Vegas or Tennessee who, I mean, that offense still runs through Derrick Henry in, in Tennessee. It does, but Ty J Spears has looked he's, nice. He's gotten, he's, yes. It's always about what's new. I, I mean, this is this is a tough thing to say to a team, and like everybody in the NFLs, there it's a it's competitive nature, it's alpha personalities. But what 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 are we doing, Tennessee? Like, I mean, even in a even in a world where the Titans make the playoffs, do you see the Titans as currently constructed running through the AFC gauntlet? I don't. No, and so, but I've been surprised by them before. So. <laughs> you are not wrong. I mean, the Titans are my. They're my nemesis because I just can't figure if them out. If you're in a survivor pool, literally never, ever bank on the but Titans, but then maybe bank on the Titans. I just they're, If they're, somebody was willing to give you a three for the last year of Derrick Henry's deal, I would do it. Yeah. I, that's just me. And that's, I mean, I also, I don't know where these guys go. We mentioned Tampa. I think Saquon Barkley in Tampa Bay would be a boatload of fun, but I don't right. see how the Bucks could afford that. I don't either. I, so, that's... Same that's, thing goes... I think the Cowboys need more at the running back position. Tony Pollard is is good, even great sometimes, but the, I'd like to see more there. But again, nothing about the Cowboys suggests that they would swing a trade like that when they're already paying one running back $10 million. That's, that's the other thing you're seeing, though, too, with these teams is where you can't just rely on one back anymore. It's, it's a running back by committee kind of approach. More and more teams are utilizing this because it keeps guys fresh. It keeps the tread off of them. And it also makes it so you don't need to have these stud guys that you need to pay a ton of money to. You can draft them and, and you can acquire them in these kind of mid-level deals. And that can suffice for your run game in what is still a passing league. All right. So we're, we're pretty down on the idea of quarterbacks or running backs getting moved, at least big name running backs. Like I said, I think there's some, there's some down the the roster guys that might get traded for some like day three picks. Wide receiver is a spot where I fully expect something to happen. And mainly I'm looking at you, Denver. I'm looking (laughs) at the Denver Broncos and everything that's wrong there. Knowing that yes, Cortland Sutton has a pretty big contract, but it shouldn't stop you from moving him. And Jerry Judy, especially in the fourth year of his deal, hasn't worked out there the way the Broncos wanted it to, or I'm sure the way Jerry wanted it to. Why not? Again, one and four, not looking like you're going anywhere. Kansas City Chiefs rule that division. Why not try to get something there? And 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 we have history that suggests receivers are... I mean, they're so valuable and there are so many spots for them. When you have three positions on the field for wide receivers, it makes more sense to do these deals. You saw Kadarius Tony get traded last year uh, from the Giants to the Chiefs. We saw, I know he couldn't play last year, but Calvin Ridley was, was a, you know, an eye popping trade. I know there's, there's even more than that. Chase, look, Chase I know Claypool. it, I know it hasn't worked out, but Chase Claypool, that yeah, was a big trade at the time. Trade. So I, I got to imagine some something happens here before before the month is and over. And I also think you look at what you have in Denver and you're supposed to have an elite quarterback under center. And what can elite quarterbacks do if they are truly elite? Elevate the team no matter who they have around them. We see that in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. And I'm not saying that Russell Wilson is Patrick Mahomes, especially this latest iteration of him. But you shouldn't have second thoughts about trading away offensive weapons when you're supposed to have the guy under center for you that can compensate 
for losses like that by elevating other players around him and younger players and guys that need to develop. So I don't think you think twice about this if you're Denver. I just, it, it makes too much sense for me. And I mean, there's, there's plenty of teams that could use receiver help. We mentioned the Ravens. Unfortunately, I don't think the Bills or the Chiefs could afford this type of move mm-hmm. just because they're they're strapped in terms of cap space. The Texans are a name that I heard that is awfully interesting to me. Like that is. Nico Collins has had a nice season. Tank Dell is a really nice rookie player, but giving CJ Stroud more to work with, especially if you could get I mean, Jerry Judy for like a two or a three as opposed to... Well, and we just talked about how Bryce Young, how they want a number one wide receiver for Bryce Young to help him develop. Why would you not give that to CJ Stroud too? I know CJ Stroud had looked the part a lot more than Bryce Young in these early this early part of the season, but that could only help CJ Stroud develop is if you get him a number one, an experienced number one wide receiver that he can rely on and can, again, kind of make up for some of those rookie mistakes that he's going to make. We already talked about Devontae Adams a little bit. We don't have to spend a lot of time, but I'm I'm sorry, Raiders and your fans. I just I want I want more for Devontae Adams. It's, he wants more. It seems like he he's, wants more. Devontae Adams wants more for Devontae Adams. It, it seems like he's not totally, you know, he said the other day this hasn't worked out the way I wanted it to. Yeah. I don't think he anticipated that his college teammate Derek Carr would be gone one season after he got to Vegas. It's nothing against the Raiders. Like I said, maybe, hey. Add Brian Burns to your pass rush in exchange for Devontae Adams. Or I just, I would love to see Devontae Adams playing in big, big games again. And with all due respect to the Raiders, I don't see them playing in a ton of those the rest of the year. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at the Ravens, Texans, Patriots also making sense for a guy like Devontae Adams, though, to me, the Ravens are the only ones that make sense because the Ravens are the only ones that have a shot at the postseason at this point. I, I mean, maybe the Texans can surprise us all, but hey, to the AFC to, South don't. I know, it's wide I know. Open. It's wide open. It's it's wide open. I thought that NFC North was wide open coming into the season. Now five game five weeks in, I'm like, mm, nope. It's it, AFC South. <laughs> Two names that people keep talking about that I just don't see it. I don't see why the Bucks trade Mike Evans. No. And I don't see why the Bengals trade T Higgins. I, I mean, Mike, you can speak to this. I mean, Mike is, he's going to go down as That's one my of guy, Michael Lynn. He's going to go down as one of the greatest Buccaneers of all time. Yep. I know that they didn't give him a new contract. I know like, but heading into the season, this was one of the prime names that was like, oh yeah, he's getting dealt when the bucks are two and four, but they're, they're not, they're, not. they're three and one. They look, I think the favorite to win the NFC South. Well, don't forget that was also coming from Mike's agent where he was saying, if we don't get a long-term deal extension done, then this will be our last year in Tampa. And Mike wants to stay in Tampa. This is a place where he has a huge present. His presence, his foundation um, is between there and Galveston, which is his one of his hometowns or his hometown. Um, his family is very well settled in Tampa. He loves the Tampa Bay community in general. He's done so much for that organization. He wants to be known as one of the greats. And to do that, you stay with one team and you're automatically in that ring of honor at Raymond James Stadium. The Bucks do have some interesting kind of decisions to make, though, because they are going to have to pay Chris Godwin. He's on the last year of his contract next year. So after 2024, you have to figure out how to pay both of these guys. And at this point, you signed Mike Evans so long ago. He's, he was on a five-year deal. This is the last year of a five-year deal. They signed him for $16.5 million a year. 
as, as, as an average to that contract, that's not what receivers cost anymore, especially your number one wide receivers. Yeah. So it's not going to come cheap. They're going to have to figure out how to do that. Huh. I um, even, and but I think they can, I, those guys back there, the contracts guys back at, at the Bucks. shout out Mike Greenberg and Jackie Davidson. They can figure things out. I'll say the same thing about T though. Is like, if, even if, if he's got a hit free agency, you get a comp pick for him, but Mike Evans should be, and he's got to get healthy from a hamstring. I know that, but Mike Evans should be a key part of helping you get to the postseason, and yeah. the Bucks have a real chance. And whatever chance the Bengals have, I know Jamar Chase went off without T the other day, but the Bengals are going to need those guys if they're going to right the ship. If if you got to franchise tag them later or get a comp pick for them, I think that's fine. I think if you're a good team that still feels like you got a shot, I don't think that makes sense. One name, I, I just want to gloss over this. Sorry, Garrett Bowles. Uh, sorry to Carmen. I don't know how sexy say. offensive line talk is. Ugh. I think, I mean, look, he's he's the left tackle in Denver. Again, any Denver Bronco should make sense, in my opinion. You mentioned it earlier. Maybe it's hard to, it's hard to add and subtract from your offensive line in the middle of the season. It Teams is. are going on, going through enough with just injuries on the offensive line. Right. And but that's a unit that thrives on continuity above all else. The New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns though, strike me as teams. Yeah. They're pretty desperate. Call, call Denver if you need one. Yeah. Here's all right. Just like wide receiver. I think this is something we absolutely have to hit and that's edge rusher, defensive end, whatever you want to, however you classify it doesn't matter to me, but I think there, there's some really intriguing players here. And I want to start with a guy we hinted at. If I had to handicap this, if I had to bet on a player that's actually going to get traded, it's got to be Daniil Hunter. It has to be. I can't understand why, why Minnesota would hang on to this guy. And that's no look. Daniil Hunter went to LSU. So, you know, I love him. <laughs> He's been a great player his entire career. He's, he's 28 years old. He's actually, he's turning 29 right around the trade deadline. But this is the exact type of thing a team should do when you're below 500. When Daniil Hunter is in a contract year, he had a contract dispute in yeah, training camp. They, they, yes. They resolved it. I get that. They resolved it. But if the guy's it's got one year deal, though. He's, he's on a one year deal. He's close to 30, which is the number to know for football players, unfortunately. Yeah. But he has six sacks already this year. Exactly. So a lot of teams should want him. They should. A lot of teams should and be he calling. Comes, as far as, as far as, I mean, he comes right at market rate for edge rushers too. I mean, he signed a 20 million, it's, it's worth up to $20 million, 17 million guaranteed up to 3 million in incentives with it's their sack incentives in particular. And he's already at six, like I said, but here's my thing. Uh, Brian Flores, first year defensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings told me before the season, I have never had a player like Daniil Hunter. And you look back at his Miami defenses, not a single guy on those defenses registered over 10 sacks. He has never had that go-to blue chip pass rusher. Flores has not. And now he finally has a guy like Daniil Hunter. He also has Marcus Davenport. And Marcus Davenport was hurt to start the season. He's finally gotten into the rotation. The This is a pressure defense. This is an aggressive defense. And you have two guys, you have two edge rushers like Daniil Hunter and Marcus Davenport on top of the creativity that Brian Flores brings to a defensive scheme. I know they're not there yet, but moving on through this season, they're going to get better. And by the time next year rolls around, that's going to be a formidable defense. Next year, what? They're both on one-year deals, Carl. I know, but they get... 
Daniil Hunter has been a Viking. So he want, I feel like he, he would stay a Viking because Brian Flores is getting him the gaudy stats that's going to get him paid. By somebody By, else. Well, that's how I, that's, this works. I think, I think the Vikings want to keep him, though. I, you can want to keep somebody and get completely blown out of the water. I mean, a couple of, when I, back when I covered the Cowboys, they wanted to keep Robert Quinn. And then the Chicago bears were like, we'll give you $70 million. And the Cowboys were like, well, not a whole lot we can do about that. Well, that's how this stuff works. Unless you're willing to franchise tag an edge rusher, which is expensive. It's expensive, but it's probably going to be right around what you would need to pay. <laughs> I just look, I think Hunter is more interesting. Like two others we should talk about Brian Burns of Carolina and Chase Young of Washington. I do think they're interesting. They're both playing out contract years. Brian Burns is in his fifth year option. Chase Young, the commanders turned down his option. So he's in the last year of his deal. And Washington has already paid everybody else on that front. Like they've, they've committed so much money to those guys. I just don't know how you fit chase under that umbrella. How do you do that? Yeah. And he's had the unfortunate now injury history that has kind of made you wonder if he's worth paying that much. And I think that there's another team that would take a chance on him more so. And Washington's front is going to be fine without him because they've had to be without him for a significant portion of his career so far there. So I see that being someone, I see Chase Young being a guy that could very easily get moved at the trade deadline because uh, I because Washington has had to deal with has had to be without him and deal with his absence before. I do. I I apologize. The Commanders have not paid um, Montez Sweat either, but that yeah. is another candidate for extension. So, but my original point is, I think Chase Young and Brian Burns could potentially command a big enough haul that it keeps it from happening. I mean, the the Panthers have reportedly already turned down two firsts from the Rams last year for Brian Burns. So if they weren't willing to part with him for that, have fun coming up with a package that gets him to, to be traded. That's why I think Daniil Hunter is so interesting is I think you could probably get him for a reasonable price. And I just, there, everybody needs pass rush. Every single yeah. team, the 49ers, Including the Minnesota Vikings, the 49ers traded for Randy Gregory. They've got an embarrassment of guys and they're like, yeah, we could use one more like yeah. Atlanta. You think we need one more. We're going to need one more. We're going to need one more. That's every front office, Atlanta, Baltimore. I could see Cincinnati needing some. I think Jacksonville could use it. We've talked about Las Vegas needs somebody to pair with Max Crosby. Crosby. You fight me on this maybe Chicago wouldn't be willing to do it, but Chicago damn sure could use an edge rusher. They absolutely could, but I think they need to get their three tech figured out before they're going to go after another edge rusher. Cause don't forget they have unique and now. And that's, I feel like that was their answer for this year. As far as edge rusher goes, I don't see them making any sort of moves in season at this point. You are just bumming me out. You're just poo pooing all of my fun ideas so I far. Daniil Hunter moving is a fun idea. I this that's probably my own bias because I know what he means to that defense at this point. So he he's one of the cornerstones of that defense, and I just think that it would be in Minnesota's best interest to figure out a way to pay him. Good GMing is saying, I know this is going to upset you, Brian Flores, but this is what is in the long term best and interest. I'm, of proving, our I'm proving my own point wrong, but Brian Flores has done it before without a guy like that, so sure. he can do it again. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Defensive back. I'm just going to call my shot right now. I just think Howie Roseman is going to add a defensive back to his roster before 
before October is over. Yeah, like we were saying, they don't need any guys up front anymore. So No, the defensive line is set. I think there's been enough losses back there. I think names that I'm interested in. Buda Baker has he's been on IR for Arizona. It seems like it seems like the relationship is better there. You know, for all the for all the talk about like there's all this speculation that Kyler Murray is unhappy in Arizona and Buda Baker's at odds about his contract. Like both of those guys kind of seem to have bought in now that it looks like the coaching staff in Arizona knows what it's doing. Yeah, apparently Gannon's got some guys behind him now. I like he's he's got the buy-in of a lot of these players. Again, I still think like I said, maybe it's a harsh reality because you're super competitive and Buda Baker's a great player, but if you look at the landscape and say we're probably on track to contend in 2025. Right. Buda Baker's contract is up after 2024. Again, if somebody's willing to give you something for him, now seems like a good time to do it. I think you could say the same thing about Jeremy Chin, the mm, Carolina, Carolina safety. safety. I like him a lot. Four-year starter. Southern Illinois own. He's last year of his deal. I love saying, I feel like I've said last year of his deal about a thousand times on this show, but those are the guys to know. Adoree Jackson. Jackson. Played some slot corner. Again, Avante Maddox is out. I would, I mean, division trades are not impossible. TJ Hawkinson, well, yeah. he went from Detroit to Minnesota Listen, last year. Don't, the, the NFC North is a whole different breed because the last couple of years, they have had just no qualms with trading in and amongst each other, I don't know which if, is very weird. I don't know if the Giants would send Dory Jackson I, to I don't, Philly. I don't see the NFC East teams being so um, friendly with you, each other. You make a, you make a point there. You make a point there. Um, Justin Simmons actually has a really big contract, but again, no, nobody in Denver except Patrick Sertan should be off the table. In my opinion, that's, I mean, that's just my thoughts on the matter. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I honestly don't know if Patrick Sertan should even be safe because you just kind of have to start, you have to rip it down to the studs in, in, in Denver. But like, I agree with you that he is a foundational player that you can build around. Patrick's no, he's well, young. I'm I, like, he can't be older than like 23 years old. He's, he's 23. 23 I know. I know. I, like I said, I, I don't he, think that happens either, but I'm just saying. Don't like, trade Patrick Sertan, Denver, but consider everyone else. That does it for our trade conversation, Carm. I think we hit. I think we hit everything. I think so. That was a lot. We'll see how well it ages. Honestly, with the way this league goes. Our reckless. What did you call it? Our, recu- our reckless speculation. Reckless speculation. Somebody, something's going to happen like as this episode gets published that just puts it all out of date. But yes. that is the joy of the NFL. That's the primer. Hopefully you feel very prepared for the trade deadline, which it's still three weeks weeks away, but I promise you it's going to sneak up on you. Carm, thank you so much for the time. Dave, thank you for having me. Let's keep the good times rolling with this week's edition of the Cheat Sheet with Peter Schrager presented by Honda. All right, Peter, I'm not going to apologize for it because I do think a loss like that by the Dallas Cowboys was worth a lot of coverage from their perspective, a shocking result. But I do feel we'll say self-conscious about how the best team in the NFL, the 49ers, it felt like they got put on the back burner a little bit. And it's not fair, especially when you consider they're undefeated. They are the most impressive team in the NFL. And on top of that, we were doubting their quarterback all off season. Brock Purdy continuously doubted because of the elbow injury coming into this season. It was like it was an afterthought because he wasn't totally healthy during training camp. It goes without saying that they are the most impressive team in the NFL, but I'm not sure we're doing enough justice to this story. 
They're five and zero, oh, Dave, and they have beaten opponents by an average of twenty points. Now you put that out there, and you think, okay, well, that, yeah, yeah, we've been watching the, the 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 Niners. That's what they do. Think about point spreads every week. The biggest point spreads we see are thirteen points, fourteen points. I think the Bills are favored by fourteen over the Giants this week. They're averaging twenty point wins over the first five weeks. It's insane how they're creaming opponents and. The Cowboys were supposed to be a worthy opponent. Cowboys supposed to be NFC, you know, contenders. Cowboys came into this thing feeling pretty good about themselves after the, they did to the New England, and they just put a beating on them. And, you know, I go back to August and September, and there was a lot of like, it's probably going to be Purdy, but Sam Darnold might have to take over. Or, you know, they traded Trey Lance away. Are they going to regret that? I I'll tell you, I spoke with sources within that organization in early September, right? might've been right after the Trey Lance trade and like injury or not, they were all in on Purdy to the point where like, I have a source in San Francisco who's like, I don't know if there's anyone in the NFL who can run Kyle's offense as efficiently as this young man. And it's not just the intelligence. It's not just the ability on the field. It's the demeanor. He is just so cool. If you noticed in the post-game press conference, they just won 42 to 10 against one of the NFL's best teams. And Kyle Shanahan's like, he missed one. He missed a pass to Ayuk. He had Ayuk on one of them. <laughs> he threw it behind. He missed one. And that's, you know, you're in special territory when you go back through all the quarterbacks that Kyle Shanahan's had, and that includes Garoppolo, the frustration sometimes you see in his post-game press conferences or the frustration in his voice describing some of their losses or moments missed. He's finally got his guy. It's almost like they share the same brain. And uh, I put it out there that Purdy deserves MVP consideration, and I got clobbered for it because they have all these wonderful players around him and between McCaffrey and Kittle and Juszczyk and Debo and Ayuk, like and Trent Williams, he's not even the top, three or four guy on the offense, but he's the one at the switch. He's the one who's making it all go. And he's the one that has Kyle Shanahan's offense optimized and playing at a level that we've never seen it play before. So this is the meat of what I want to talk to you about. And I, I told you before our conversation, like I'm not even trying to suck up to you. I put your pot, your podcast on this week. And at the start of the show, you're talking about the Niners and you did this awesome little exercise where you try to name the five best. Well, I don't even I don't even necessarily want to steal your idea. I love that you I love that you gave Fred Warner some love. I think he's completely you know, I, I think Fred Warner deserves to be as high as maybe three. Um, it, it's not so much about the list itself, top five 49ers, but you're going through your list and I'm like. I'm like, Peter, don't do this to me. Please don't, please don't put Brock Purdy number one on this, on this team. And you didn't. And that's, that's what I think is so interesting is I don't think you're crazy for saying Brock Purdy deserves MVP consideration. I don't think you're crazy if you say Brock Purdy is maybe the most important player in the NFL because he is unlocking this 49ers offense in a way that we know a lot of quarterbacks have been unable to do. So we can't minimize that. But at the same time, he is on one of the most loaded rosters I can remember. And he is playing for Kyle Shanahan. And I think all of that matters. And I'm just fascinated by the idea of like, is he a top even 10 quarterback in the NFL? I am not convinced. Is he the most valuable quarterback in the NFL? Maybe so. It's all in the clouds, this conversation, because it's, well, if he wasn't on this team and he was put on the Cleveland Browns, would he be successful? Or if you put Mac Jones, which Dan Orlovsky said, 
in San Francisco? Would they be having the same success? None of that. It's all hypotheticals. He is in San Francisco. So let's just judge what we see. The guy doesn't throw interceptions. He leads the league in completion percentage. His team is five and zero. He's never lost a regular season game. And these passes are beautiful. Like the three touchdown passes to Kittle are awesome. The deep one he had to Debo uh, uh, was incredible. The third and 14 to Ayuk that was taken back was like the perfect touch pass. And he doesn't make brainless mistakes. So to me, he's as good as a quarterback in the NFC that as Jalen Hurts has been this year or as Dak Prescott's been or as Jared Goff has been or... Matthew Stafford or anyone you name, like if I'm going through my Pro Bowl roster, I 100% have Brock Purdy as, if not the quarterback for the NFC, one of the three. Do you not agree? No, I completely do. And I think I think that is that is the crux of this conversation is like when you say, oh, well, he's not one of the the very, very best. I think especially in the age of highlights being on social media incessantly, yeah. Can can you dial up a play of Brock Purdy doing the things that Josh Allen and Justin Herbert do? Like, can Brock Purdy just completely destroy cover two? Like, just, you know, like if, if they play, if they're playing the coverage perfectly and you've got to make a 55 yard hole shot right in the five yard window that it needs to go. No, Brock Purdy can't do that. But does that mean that he's a lesser quarterback? I don't, I don't think so. And that's, I think that's what gets lost is the way that I'm, mean, first of all, the guy throws with incredible anticipation for somebody that's yes. started like 12 games and his willingness to push the ball. Maybe it's not 55 yard hole shots, but his willingness to throw the 22 yard route when the guys before him check down to the eight yard route. It's Dude, clearly, it. Yeah, no, it, it makes a difference. So yes, I, I, I love this conversation and I, I hope 49er fans don't think I'm like dissing their quarterback because I'm, I'm, I'm so, so impressed by what he's doing. And I so, just, I think it's, we were kids, I think it's fascinating. When we were kids, they had the quarterback challenge. Remember that? And it would be like in Hawaii at the pro bowl and you'd bring out Marino and he'd throw it 80 yards and Elway, he'd throw it 80 yards. Like Rich Gannon wasn't winning any of those, you know, competitions or right. you name Phil Sims probably wasn't winning. But in those offenses, Rich Gannon in a John Gruden offense was as good as it gets. And Phil Sims in, you know, whether it was Ron Earhart or whoever it was, that was the offensive coordinator of those Giants teams was going 21 and 22 in Super Bowls and running the offense to perfection. It's like chicken and the egg and it doesn't have to be right. Like Brock Purdy is the 49ers quarterback and, and right. they have not lost it. So it's like, I can't apologize for him. And it's funny because. I did that exercise named the top five 49ers and I, my five was five was Purdy four I put Freddie Warner, who might be the NFL's defensive player of the year. Three, I put Bosa two I put McCaffrey and one, I put Trent Williams cause he just erases people. And I don't know if I wound up, I wound up. I like, I was worried about your list when you started and I wound yeah. up loving it for whatever it's worth. Thank you. And it, and it, and I didn't include Debo Samuel and I didn't include George Kittle and Eric Armstead didn't make it. And Brandon Ayuk didn't make it. And Telenoa Hufanga, who is a first team, all safety didn't make it. And Kyle Juszczyk, who's the best fullback in football, didn't make it. And then you start going through all those names and you're like, you could do a top 15 49ers. They're so loaded. And the quarterback is one of those guys. This isn't like other teams where the quarterback is making $45 million and he has to be player one through three or player one through four. Purdy's making $800,000 this year. So I, 
it's the perfect marriage of timing, player, coaching staff, and the story that you mentioned to begin it. He's coming off a major elbow injury and he looks great. Like that was the big holdup for me. Like, are we sure he's healthy? He has been. And he looks awesome. If, if people had known for sure, and I was, I feel, well, I don't feel dumb because honestly, I still think Sam Darnold could probably be successful in this offense, honestly. But like, I spent a lot of time wondering like, well, will Sam Darnold be up for the task if Purdy's not ready? And like, it all just looks so silly now. Like if you had told me, all through the offseason, like, yeah, Purdy will be ready week one and he'll look like he never missed time at all. I would have been so much higher on the Niners and I already was high. Yeah. But but having a question mark at quarterback is a valid reason for concern. Sure. I just guys I coming I, off elbow injury. They said yeah. it was a baseball surgery. Like, I don't know what that means. I don't think any of us do. And if you're a couch potato doctor and you're weighing it on Twitter, you don't know because no one knew. But they did. And they were super confident. Like there's my sources in San Francisco were like, no, he's the guy. Like, it's not even a question. Like, and I'm like, all right, like, okay. It's, um, and it's the other thing that's crazy to me and not crazy. Crazy is not the right word. Impressive is like, that is the most like awe inspiring locker room. Like not only dogs, but dogs that it, have dude. dogs have that have strong personalities. Yes. Like, and like, you know, Debo um, is Debo's a talker and yeah. And Kittle is a is a beast, and these guys talk to the opposing teams, but they also, you know, they like Ray Ray McLeod is a voice. Like they've got yeah. top to bottom on that thing. Those are talkers, and those are guys who walk the walk and talk the talk. And you know, even guys like this week, like Javon Kinlaw is out there, and he's talking smack to the Cowboys. Like they go fifty three deep, guys that like puff their chest. And Purdy's not, Purdy's not the guy. <laughs> freaking Debo's telling people that he feels like he's in the huddle with a killer. And George Kittle is, you mentioned Dan Orlovsky's comments that Mac Jones could do this. George Kittle's like going on the radio and publicly denouncing that and saying, put respect on Brock's name. So do I think that the supporting cast has a large amount to do with this? Yes, I do. But if these guys are saying that, that carries weight for me. And so, yeah, I, th I think you put it perfectly. Like at some point, who who cares? Like the Niners aren't the, the Niners aren't going to wake up tomorrow and have to find a new quarterback or like Brock Purdy is not going to wake up tomorrow on a different team. This is what it's going to be. He's the guy. And I just I, you know, let the, me the ask one you, thing, let yeah. me ask you, you're say, do you have a vote for the MVP? Are you a AP voter? I, I wish I was that cool, but no, I don't. One no, day, one day. You, I mean, it's not I don't have one either. So don't worry. Um as an employee of the NFL at NFL network, I have, I was stripped of all those abilities and, and duties. Uh, it's kind of liberating actually, but if you're an MVP voter, would you feel more compelled right now, five weeks through to give Brock Purdy a vote or Christian McCaffrey a vote from the 49ers? I think right now, and that's, it's the, it's, it's fascinating, but I think right now it's, it's Brock Purdy and it's not. And I think that's, I th and and for so many, like usually the MVP is the best player in the NFL, usually. And I don't think Brock Purdy is the best player in the NFL. But again, we've got a lot of data that suggests that the Niners haven't been capable of quite this high of a ceiling. What changed? The quarterback changed. And so even if Brock Purdy is just very good and not amazing, that matters. And it has turned the Niners into an even bigger juggernaut than they already were. So yeah, I think it, I think you have to say Brock Purdy right, right now. So do I. And you know, Kyle Shanahan has a rap 
around coaches and players. And I think the people in the media know, and I think people at home know that he's tough. He's tough to work for, and he could be a red ass and he's tough to play for. And he's a very he's a perfectionist and he's, his offense is very complex. Can you look at Kyle Shanahan now for the past few years and not holding it against Jimmy or Trey Lance or Nick Mullins? But I'm like, that's a tortured genius. Now imagine knowing what your offense could look like if you had a guy at quarterback who can operate it the way you wish. And now he has that and you see how, the maximum ability of what this offense can look like. And now think about the, the Niners losing to the Cardinals a couple of times in the last few years, or the Niners not being able to generate offense in big spots. Like you kind of get it where I think Shanahan sees what his offense can be. If someone can just operate the offense and now it's finally been unlocked and like, he's got his guy, which is a beautiful thing uh, to, to come together at this point in both of their careers. And the irony of it, of course, like how can you not get romantic about football and the draft? Like the last guy, not the, the second to last guy, the not last only- guy the last guy and what a year after they moved heaven and earth to try to find this guy at the top of the draft you couldn't make this they say the nfl it's, you know the, the script you cannot make that up it's insane it's completely insane like i don't i don't get tired of thinking about it and i think my one question about the niners is like how will purdy respond if they're ever down if he's ever yeah. got to drag them back from a deficit but how many teams are capable of putting them in a deficit like they might not have to worry about that until the conference championship game or the super bowl yeah so december 3rd they play the eagles which i can plug because it's on fox um that's a great game that might determine home field advantage in the nfc playoffs and that might be the determining factor like who's home whose crowd is going to be there uh you know the eagles game last year the eagles won fair and square hassan reddick knocked out Brock Purdy. And a lot of that's because they had a tight end Ross Dwelly blocking Hassan Reddick. And that's a strategy, you know, that happens. Um, <laughs> but I think a lot of people in San Francisco have a bad taste in their mouth saying not asterisk, but like, who knows what could have happened if, if that did not occur. So let's hope for everyone's good health and that we can get both teams at hundred percent when they do play, because as much as I love the lions and the Cowboys and the Buccaneers have a cool story going right now, this seems like a two horse race in the NFC. Not I, anybody that's arguing that at this point, I think, uh, isn't viewing things rationally. It's not to say that there can't be some curveballs coming, but from what we've seen so far, I don't know how you come to a different conclusion. One last thing I want to get your thoughts on before we get you out of here. And that is, I mean, we, we've known it was coming, but it's official now. Justin Jefferson going to injured reserve. I am I overreacting if I just think that's an interesting situation and like I'm not trying to say that the Vikings are going to trade Justin Jefferson I think no, that that would him. be a what well, okay I mean do you want to get into that do you yeah, think I mean that it's is- cousins cousins in his last year of his deal they're not going anywhere Jefferson they'll have guys step up like Addison will play well and Osborne they'll be fine but cousins has a no trade clause so everything it's very complicated but he's in the final year of a contract and if they're not going to the playoffs and there's a team that loses their quarterback in the next three weeks like I, I would think a team would call the salary cap hit this year for whatever team takes him on is not crazy um all these teams on the NFL are all in all in all in it's a lot of teams who are three and two and two and three I feel like if they lose a quarterback over the next few weeks it doesn't hurt to call I, I don't think Kirk Cousins is necessarily the long-term answer in Minnesota. They would have given him a giant extension this past offseason. They didn't. So just something to watch. Nothing's happening this week. Nothing's happening next week. But if one of these teams loses a quarterback and knock on wood, we hate that, but it does happen. I don't think it's a wild thought for the for the Vikings to pick up something, even if it's 60 cents on the dollar, if their season's going nowhere. I just think it's, yeah. You know, I, I know the Vikings are a tortured team and a tortured fan base, but they're 
they're not usually terrible. Like it's rare for the Vikings to be an awful team and they're not awful this year. No, no, they're not. I mean, yeah, they're just, they're suffering. I think he leads the league in passing yards. Like no, he's playing suffering. well. It's, it's comical how much they're, it's just regression to the mean to a comical degree, like to yeah. go 11 and 0 in one score games and then go one and four right out of the gate and just not win any of these close games. But my, my point is, you know, we've known for a while, the Vikings are toying with the idea of like the, the phrase competitive rebuild is what you hear all the time. Yep. And how serious are you about that? Like if you're one in five in mid October, are you going to try to pretend like you can salvage this? I don't know. It's an interesting spot for them to be. And they've really thought this would be a, you know, they added Brian Flores. They made the playoffs last year. They won the division. Like they, I know those guys too, Kevin Quasi, all those guys, they were really, really, really excited about this season. And without Jefferson, it makes it really hard to win games. We'll see. Uh, look, we've seen a lot of receivers go down and teams move right along and they find someone else. I look at Cooper Cup and Puka, Puka Nakua, like we've seen it. Uh, but Justin Jefferson seems like he's one one in the league right now. And no. one and four, like that could not have been worse timing. I am. I'm curious. I mean, Justin Jefferson should be untouchable if you're asking. I think for my I opinion. think so. And look, I, he wanted a big contract in the offseason. They didn't get a, a contract done. I assume they would find something. That, it still hasn't been done. I can't imagine in a million years a GM or an owner is letting Justin Jefferson, who's arguably the best wide receiver in the league, is 25 years old and is a great, great guy and an ambassador for the city. I can't imagine they let him walk out the door or they do anything drastic and not just take care of that situation. I'm going to say, if anything, uh, he's he's got a little more time on his hands. Maybe get to the negotiating table sometime over the yeah. next month. But yeah. uh, we will see how it goes. Peter Schrager, I appreciate the time so much, my friend. I'll see you soon. I love doing this every week, man. Thank you. It's Thursday, which means it is once again time for Survivor Picks. I swear you would think we were staging this whole thing with how well it's going for yours truly. I'm still in this thing. Like I would make a pick for you even if I had lost, but my picks have been doing great. I rolled with the Detroit Lions against the Carolina Panthers last week. Went pretty well for me. Didn't have to sweat at all. And honestly... That might be the move from here on out. No offense to the Carolina Panthers, but until something changes, picking against them is not the worst strategy I've ever heard. Let's let's look through the matchups this week. I think two standalone. It's it's the Buffalo Bills hosting the New York Giants and their mess of an offense, and the Miami Dolphins do get the Carolina Panthers. So the most explosive offense in the league hosting the only winless team in the league looks awfully appealing. Chiefs hosting the Broncos tonight, Thursday. I think it's a safe bet. The Chiefs always beat the Broncos, but I don't know. Thursday night football in the division, Denver's season kind of on the line. I'm not picking the Broncos to win, but makes me a little bit nervous. Do that at your own risk. Also, what's the fun of getting your survivor pick out of the way on Thursday? Like at least save it for Sunday when all the craziness starts. I am in fact going to roll with the Miami Dolphins. I know Devon Achan is on injured reserve. The Dolphins still have plenty of things going in their favor. If you want to take the Bills, by all means, go for it. But this feels like a week where, assuming one of those teams is still available to you, that's what I would do, because some of these games are terrifying. Commanders, Falcons, Vikings, Bears, Seahawks, Bengals. I guess... If you're willing to part ways with the 49ers, you could pick them to beat the Cleveland Browns. If Deshaun Watson doesn't play, that looks like it could be the case, but keep an eye on it. But man, these 
this is a this is a gross lineup. Like th- there's a lot of division games here. There's a lot of close lines. Baltimore over Tennessee sounds really good until you remember Baltimore just found a way to lose a head scratcher to Pittsburgh last week. Yeah, this is not a week to get cute. I know you want to try to hold on to some good teams, but we're already here in week six. If you have Buffalo or Miami, roll with them, and I wouldn't think twice about it. I'm undefeated, so I wouldn't steer you wrong. Give me the Miami Dolphins to keep this survivor thing going for another week. That wraps up the show. Enjoy Chiefs Broncos tonight. So division games should be entertaining one way or the other. Make sure to find us on Spotify. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us. The NFL on Fox YouTube channel, if you're into the YouTube thing. Find wherever you prefer. We're here to serve. We're here to entertain you. I appreciate it so much. We've got a full week six preview coming on Friday. We'll get into everything then. Appreciate it, y'all. I'll catch you next time.